Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the March 2020 podcast. I am delighted that you're going to give half an hour of your time to listen in on the conversation. And I'm going to start by talking about the Blackpool Convention, which is still fresh in my mind since it's only a couple of weeks since the actual event took place. It is, let's face it, a real one-off. They say that they are the biggest convention in the world, and I don't know how you judge these things, but certainly from in terms of the number of attendees, they reckon there was well over 4,000 came at some point over the, uh, the three days this year, which is a phenomenal number of people. And it's a bit like FISM. As you wander around, um, you, you hear so many different foreign languages being spoken that you, it's no longer just an, an English or British convention. It's very much an international event and has been for some time. So in that, in terms of its appeal, its international appeal, the size of the, the number of acts that they book and so on, it is certainly the biggest. But another way that it's also probably the biggest is the number of dealers who come from all over the world in order to try and sell their wares at the event. At least 150 was the projected figure for this year, which is not great so great for the dealers themselves because they would always rather have more people and less dealers. But I suppose for the people who go, if they're looking to make a purchase, then you've got a fantastic array of magic and different types of dealer to to go and see. But it struck me as I was walking around the dealers myself that um, there's there's almost too much to see, isn't there? I can imagine this, especially for people who have perhaps little or no experience of attending a huge event like this. There's a sort of I can imagine this panic setting in. Everywhere you look in the main dealer halls, there are there are huge mounds of different tricks and different products demanding your attention. And you've got people demonstrating tricks and people jostling and pushing and so on. It's, it's not a relaxed time in the dealer halls, to be honest with you, most of the time. And I can imagine this situation where somebody has got, can walk around and if they've not got something specific they're looking for, possibly end up buying nothing. Um, you buy nothing because either you can't get close enough to the front of the more popular stands because there's always a crowd and it's, unless you're going to elbow your way through, sometimes you don't want to do that. Um, and, and secondly, that um, even if you can get to the front, the trying to make a decision about whether you want to buy something or not, you, it's not a very calm environment to do that. You always feel under a certain amount of pressure, particularly if the, the, the dealer behind the stand has demonstrated something predominantly to you. Then you have that feeling, don't you, of, uh, ooh, this is awkward. I'm not sure I 100% want this, but he's, he's spent all this time demonstrating it to me. And sometimes you can, you can find yourself buying something, even though you're slightly nervous about the purchase, because you think, do I really want this? Am I ever going to use this? But you go ahead and buy it anyway. So, um, and I've noticed that some of the dealers um, are, some of the dealers are better salespeople than others. Some will just put out their wares and basically let you just have a rummage, which if you enjoy doing that sort of thing and you don't want too much interaction from the person doing the selling, that's actually quite nice. And then there are other dealers, and I used to be one of these, where if anybody comes up to the stand, I would want to dem them something. I hate just standing there making small talk. I'd rather show them a trick. Because when you show that person a trick, even if they're not interested in it, other people who have been watching while you were doing it predominantly to this one person might buy it. 
But I noticed there were at least two or three different dealers who they have three or four people behind their stand and they actually put chairs in front of the stand and they sit down behind it and they invite one or two people at a time to sit down on these chairs in front of them and they do a very personal demo and a very in-depth, have an in-depth conversation. Now, if you're very uh, interested in what the people have for sale, this is a lovely way to do it because you really feel that you're getting personal attention. If, however, you, you find yourself sitting down and then you suddenly realise that actually this isn't really for me, I would imagine it's actually much more difficult to extract yourself when you're sitting down on a, this very personal one-to-one basis. You know, if you're standing at a, at a stand literally standing at a stand and there's a crowd of say 10 people around watching a dem you can always sort of move casually away and just drift into the background and leave if you're sitting down on a almost like a, on a one-to-one with the demonstrator it's a lot more difficult to get up and leave but it takes all sorts and it's i find it absolutely fascinating watching the different ways that both the, the conventioneers approach going up to stands and the way that the, the demonstrators demonstrate the wares, whether they do, whether they don't, whether they're high-pressure sellers or whether they're not, whether they're prepared to chat, whether they don't really want to chat, how invested and interested they appear to be in you when you walk up. There's so many things that go to make whether they have a successful convention or not. And, and I'm sure that no matter how many dealers, the people who have nailed their their particular dem technique and so on and who know how to actually sell always do okay in fact some of them will do extremely well whether or not they have the hit trick of the convention they will always do reasonably well Um, and the others for others it can be a real hit and miss if you don't invest the time and the enthusiasm when when people actually walk up and and come to see something so I did find it, I do find it fascinating to walk around dealers and I didn't actually buy anything myself this year but I was ended up doing a lot of people watching which was really rather interesting. I don't know whether you're familiar with the name Simon Kane but uh, he's a, a young mentalist who uh, hails from Bristol and I've had the pleasure of reviewing a couple of his items recently for Magic Scene. One was a set of lecture notes a couple of years ago. And more recently, in the last few months, I've been taking a look at his large book, 130-odd page book on mentalism, which is called I Know What You're Thinking. And I really like Simon's material, actually. Most of it is very practical. He uses direct, clever methods, and his plots are believable and uh, are very convincing and fooling. So uh, if you haven't come across him before, search out his book, um, because I think you would find it very worthwhile getting it. But there was something towards the end of this particular book which uh, piqued my interest because he was talking a little bit about something that I had never really considered before, and that is the potential problem that a person who portrays himself as a mind reader might have with doing predictions. Now, on the face of it, you think, sorry, the two things that you can do both. You can be a mind reader and you can do predictions, can't you? Well, you can, but he explained how it can be a contradiction. So in the book, he explains that imagine that you're watching a mind reader and he gets a spectator up and he gives them a choice of several books. Uh, They choose one. They're then allowed to select any page and any word. The mind reader then goes into a trance or whatever and, and makes an apparent 
effort to divine the random word that's just been looked at in the book. <clears throat> he asked the participants, say, to, you know, to think of individual letters contained in the word or perhaps imagine it as a picture or something like that. And he then starts to reveal some small details and maybe even some of them he gets slightly wrong. And and then he says, oh, think of the word, scream the word in your head. Let me let me try and pick it up mind to mind. Oh, yes, I'm starting to get something. It's coming through. You're thinking of the word moose, which is the correct word. So under this sort of presentation and, and this type of effect, the audience are amazed how on earth did the mind reader manage to connect his mind with the spectators in order to get the actual word that was looked at in the book. But then the mind reader says, ah, he says, there's something else. He says, you'll notice that over on that table over there in full view from before I started this trick, there is an envelope. It's been there for the entire time. Please open that envelope and see what's inside. And the person opens up the envelope, takes out a sheet of paper in which it says, you will think of a moose. Now, what Simon is saying is that the, the envelope prediction undermines and devalues the mind reading. Because if somebody can predict in advance what's going to happen... Why would they need to pretend to go through all this business of, you know, scream the word in your brain, picking out letter by letter, because you knew what it was in advance anyway? It's a total contradiction. And I've never really thought about this before, but, he, but he's right. If you're going to be someone who purports to be able to read minds, genuinely can do this type of thing, then to then have a prediction linked to that as well is a total nonsense because you clearly, once you reveal your prediction, have shown that anything that anybody thinks of, because you can predict so accurately, you already know. So you don't need to go through all this palaver. And so the presentation becomes undermined. The presentation itself starts to make it look as if you're, you're taking the mick a little bit, aren't you? You're, that you're stretching something out that didn't need to be stretched out. And for that reason, Simon says he doesn't think the two things are naturally compatible. He does, does then go on to explain how the two things can be run alongside each other. And, and, that, and the main way that he suggests of doing this is to get, apparently, the, um, the spectator to do the mind reading. And then you show that you had a prediction. But um, I thought that was a really interesting thought. If you are a mind reader and you do a lot of predictions linked to that as kicker endings... Have you ever thought that it might be, in fact, doing yourself, you might be doing yourself a disservice? Because I certainly hadn't. I'm on Vanishing Inc.'s mailing list. And as a result, like anybody else who is on their mailing list, I get um, regular email publicity things from them uh, several times a week. And a lot of the stuff uh, I'm not particularly interested in. It's not for me, but... There was one particular trailer which they um, released recently, which um, I thought possibly set a new benchmark for online video dems. Um, the, the trick in, in uh, question was Cinemental by Nicholas Mavrasis. And they actually, uh, in order to get you to watch the trailer, they told you that this, that this was possibly the funniest trailer ever made. Well, that in itself is enough to make, and it certainly made me, 
uh, enough to make anybody go, why, what's so funny about it? And then want to go and look. So that was a clever hook. But actually, what was great was that it wasn't a disappointment because the trailer, which is about just over four minutes long, not only did it manage to show uh, what happens in the trick, and it's, the trick itself is not particularly exceptional. It's a, you know, a pile of cards with cinema film um, titles on them, and you manage to, to show that you predict a couple of film titles that spectators choose. So, in essence, it's not a very promising premise for a trick, but it's okay. But the trailer and the way that the trailer is used to market the trick is actually a parody of trailers that are usually used to market tricks online. I mean, we we all have been uh, amazed at how bad and cheesy so many of the the trailers have become now with common themes, um, people trying to look cool and and all the rest of it. And after a while, it just becomes what was originally something that was cool becomes something that is everyday and, and, and in the end a little bit ridiculous. And what this trailer for Cinemental does is it it does a parody of that. And it's genuinely, it is funny. And it's very well done, very well made, well scripted, well acted. It is. I often refer to some Dems, online Dems, as being like a Hollywood production sort of feature film and 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 this one is very much like that too but it's worth watching whether it makes you want to buy the trick I don't know but it certainly gets you to watch and I do wonder whether this has set a new benchmark because if you can make something as good as that so so well edited filmed and 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 storyboarded you know the actual story the whole thing about it you're going to want to go and watch it now if you haven't seen it, aren't you? I'm doing Vanishing Inc. a great service, no doubt, because people are going to go and look at it. But do go and look at it because it's just interesting to see, is this the future, perhaps, of the way things are going to be advertised? Because uh, I hope it's not, because this was was very well done. And I'd hate to see other people not doing it so well and trying to be funny when actually they really can't be funny. But anyway, go and see, go and see it. Vanishing Inc. Cinemental. Um, they, they, other people may be selling it too, but Vanishing Inc. was where I saw it. And uh, go and look at it, have a laugh, and see what you think. From time to time in my podcast, I I do tend to talk about my online club, eClub Pro, and it's now in its tenth year, which I find hard to believe. I can't believe it was ten years ago that I started this. And the reason I mention it is because I am extremely proud of the body of material that is now available to members to access. In fact, the, the, uh, apart from the huge variety of material, I was actually looking at the volume of it. And I picked out four particular sections. There are, in fact, nearly ten, but uh, I picked out four sections the Vintage Vault. The Vintage Vault is a section where you will find routines that I haven't filmed before, so they're not ones that have appeared on DVDs or, or on standalone products, that sort of thing. And there are currently 110 different effects covering close-up, mental magic, children's stuff, um, sort of strolling magic, and so on and so forth. 110 different effects some of which I used to market and I don't market anymore. Others are ideas that you will have never seen before. 
So there's 110 of those, and each month a new one is added. And then there's a section called the Toolbox, where I'm gradually amassing a wide range of, of basic moves, often with cards and coins, but not exclusively. And uh, it's a great reference because, you know, it's like when you're reading through something and you get to, a, somebody mentions a move, and either the, the description of the move isn't, it leaves you not quite sure how it's supposed to work or they just refer you to somewhere, some other resource that you don't have. Well, members of eClub Pro can go into the toolbox where they will find currently 115 different moves filmed in order to, for, for them to reference. Again, another one is added every month. And then my e-video newsletter, which is the monthly half an hour video program, has got various sections in it. And one of those is the teaching. This is where I, I teach usually shorter effects, um, ideas, moves and so on. And um, they, once the current newsletter is no longer current, the teachings are archived in a section called, imaginatively, the archive. And the teaching section has got 116 different effects in it. Again, a new one is added every month. And then members also get in the middle of the month a video presentation, an email link to a video presentation uh, on the evening of the 14th of, the, of, of each month called Mark's Monthly Message, in which I give advice and opinion on a huge range of different magical topics. There are 113 of those and again another one is added every month. So just these four sections alone make, I think, being a member at £10 a month to eClub Pro fantastic value but there's so much more 50% off every mark leverage product that you buy full price product that you buy is a standard for all eclub pro members there are all sorts of other freebies downloads all sorts of stuff that you can access and it's constantly growing and changing every month some of the items are changed on eclub pro others are added to so if you've never um, been part of it or never seen eClub Pro, give it a go because there's no uh, set subscription period. You simply pay on a rolling monthly PayPal payment, which is very easy to set up. And all the time you remember, you have immediate full access through my website to all the special sections that are um, kept back just for eClub Pro members and you can stay for several months or as in the case of quite a few people they have stayed many years because it is always changing and evolving there's always something new so eclub pro go and you can get information from my website go to markleverage.co.uk and on the home page you'll find all the information you need about the eclub pro and eclub pro elite if you were to ask most magicians whether they approve of magic exposure I'm sure that the instinctive reaction of just about all of them would be to say, absolutely not. Magic should not be exposed. The secrets are the lifeblood of our art and they should be protected. And that's a reasonable reply. But actually, exposure comes in different forms. And I've talked about this before, about the different types of magical exposure that there can be. Anything from simply a bad performer who exposes tricks inadvertently through to people like the masked magician all those years ago when he deliberately gave away methods for classic secrets that many of us were of tricks that many of us were still using but actually if you think about it for a minute without any form of magic exposure uh, 
magic would actually wither and die because all of us at some point have to get, if we're going to become magicians, we need to find out about tricks, how they work, get secrets. And if magic was completely, literally, hermetically sealed off from anybody who is not a bona fide magician, well, eventually it would just simply die out. You say, well, I, I, I was interested in being a magician, but I couldn't get any information. Uh, there was no, there were no books, there were no DVDs, nothing online. So it, the exposure, in a sense, is necessary. And, and it's often seen to me completely wrong when the Magic Circle, for instance, have, have thrown people out of the Magic Circle for publishing a book for the general public, say, in which um, the Smiths are selling books full of magic secrets. And I would argue that that, that book, if it's a good book, is doing a service. I know it's how I got involved in magic through books that were sold in Smiths and which were and other books that were my parents managed us when I was a kid ordered for me through ordinary bookshops. So without that input at the time, I, I would never have got involved in magic at all because I wouldn't ha have had access to the real secrets. I mean, secrets over and above what a joke shop will sell you, those sort of little tiny tricks, but some more serious stuff, then you need... The stuff needs to be exposed and accessible before you get fully involved. Otherwise, you won't be able to get fully involved. And also, isn't exposure now a rather outmoded concept? The fact that you can go on YouTube and type in the plot of a trick in, in, a, in a simple sentence and immediately watch umpteen online videos performing and explaining the trick that you're hoping to uh, to find out about this is totally uncontrollable the magical authorities such as the ibm or the magic circle can't police the entire world you can't stop people from going online and finding out stuff and so isn't it a bit redundant to worry about magical exposure and another thing is you think about all the online magic dealers. Now, at one time, it was hard to get hold of information about where bricks and mortar magic shops were. And I can remember the first time when I was about 12 and my dad took me up to London because I'd heard about Harry Stanley's unique magic studio. And I was very excited and I wanted to go and buy some stuff. And I can remember my dad and I going up the stairs to the door at the top of the stairs and before we could actually get into the building, somebody, and I, of course, I don't know who that was because I didn't know anybody at that time, blocked my entrance to the, the room, if you like. And he asked me, I said, hello, can I help you? And then he asked me a couple of questions and I mentioned that I was, looking, I was after a set of multiplying billiard balls. As soon as I showed that I had some knowledge, oh, come in. And he let me in. Well, you compare that to now. Anybody can order anything from any international magic online dealer because there are never any checks about whether this person is a real magician or not. They send you money, you send them the goods. You've no idea whether they're a genuine magician. You could be exposing secrets to the people that you sell it to. But the general rule is, I suppose, or the thought is anyway, well, if they're paying for it, it shows a level of interest which uh, is justifiable, if you like, because they've paid for the secret. 
whether they're genuine magicians or not is irrelevant. It's that the fact that they've put their money where their mouth is, as it were, and paid for it. Whereas the masked magician, who was just revealing tricks to anybody who happened to be tuned into that channel, whether they were interested in it or not. And that's usually the sort of fine dividing line. But I, but I do wonder whether magic exposure these days has any traction at all. I, I can remember doing a show once, and one of my favourite walkabout tricks is the classic Professor's Nightmare. And I did the trick at many tables at a particular dinner function years ago. Did it several times. People loved it. They applauded. They enjoyed it. It was only at the end of the evening that I discovered that every single table had little magic tricks for the guests to play with. And one of the tricks was three little strings, uh, which fully explained the, a basic routine for equal and equal prof ropes or Professor's Nightmare. It was sitting on the table in front of them, but nobody said, oh, I've got that trick here, because I was using ropes. There was a different presentation. It, when you do the count of the ropes, it looks like something way more than, than the people who would read on the simple instructions for the three little strings. And so it appeared different. And so even though it had been exposed, it made absolutely no difference to my performance. So what do you think? Is exposure, is it something we should worry about anymore? Or should we just accept that that's the way people get into magic and that most of the time the lay people knowing some of our secrets doesn't make any difference in any case? Anyone who's been performing magic commercially for a number of years will have seen a big change in the way that we market ourselves. Of course, for many years, Yellow Pages ruled the roost, didn't it? And uh, really and truly, all you needed to do was take the biggest advert you could afford in Yellow Pages, and that was your marketing done, because everybody looking for any type of service went to the good old Yellow Pages. But gradually, as the online presence with our websites and pay-per-click advertising and social media, as that gained traction, everybody in the general public stopped looking at Yellow Pages and just simply went online for everything that they needed. And so, of course, it was inevitable that Yellow Pages would eventually wither away and die completely. Now, with the old Yellow Pages, the way that people contacted you when they saw your advert, well, there was really only one way, because it was all pre-internet, so they would give you a call, and you'd have a telephone conversation, and that's where you would do your quote. Nowadays, of course, because everything is online, the natural thing is for people to either message you or obviously send you an email. And this has, I think, created a very different type of dynamic between you as the performer and salesman, if you like, trying to sell your show, and the, the booker on the other end of the phone or on the other end of the email who is trying to get the information, make a decision. Because when they, in the days when people had to phone, they would probably not want to make a lot of phone calls. You know, for some people, making a phone call and getting it, making an inquiry on the phone is quite a stressful process because they're worried that if they don't like what they hear or the person is too expensive, it's difficult to extract yourself. And we've, we've all been victim of the booker who says, well, thank you for all the information. I, I just need to speak to my husband about that, which was, is a kind of like a standard default go-to line when you think, oh, this is not quite what I want or it's too expensive. So that's the line that people use deferring to somebody else's opinion rather than having to make a decision there and then. But the 
advantage of um, that you have of talking to somebody on the phone is that you can get a feel for that person what they actually require you can ask questions and very quickly start to build up a picture of what it is they require and then you can tell them what you can provide in such a way that it answers any problems or concerns they might have or fulfills any expectations they may have for how they want their event to be if you don't have this information all you can do is and this is so often the case with email they say you know i'm having a wedding and so many people and you get the basic facts so then you send your wedding quote back by email and basically it's a, it's trying to be a one size fits all description well this is what i normally do if you don't get the opportunity to talk to somebody it may turn out that they have a very different type of wedding planned it might be very informal and or not traditional in some way and so if you put in your standard quote by email you may completely miss the mark about what is required so is it better to encourage people to either let you ring them or get them to ring you in the first place and and to and to not let or encourage people so much to send emails maybe it is i was talking to a very successful full-time professional close-up magician and uh, he happened to mention in passing to me something that i thought was very interesting that he likes to have a co- telephone conversation with people before you know he actually gives all the information out to them he likes to good to give them what they need to know by discussing it not by emailing and the reason is because he can upsell them he can turn what he what he needs to say to the to answers to any questions they may have and i thought you know what that's kind of old school but maybe it's time to look back in order to look forwards maybe email encourages too many cold inquiries casual inquiries and that you'll soon find this out if if you speak to somebody on the phone or they are required to ring you rather than just email you so do you do all yours all your inquiries uh, via email or do you do them by telephone is so have you ever thought about which is the most successful well thank you very much for listening in to the march podcast i hope you've enjoyed the various things we've chatted about and i will look forward to being back with you again in april to do it all over again have a good month bye for now